Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at It's my privilege to speak today, and uh, I don't ever have a lack of something to say. I actually have 24 notes plus a whole nother message here, so, but I'm not going to go through all that. Um, Father, we're just believing for a divine impartation today. We believe you'll transform our minds by the touching of our hearts as well. Lord, let this be a transforming message that will, Lord, just activate the passion of Christ in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is the most important meeting you will attend this week. It is the most important meeting because it's the gathering of the church, the ecclesia. And so we're here today, having been duly called by the Holy Spirit. And you answered the call, and so you're here. You've already received an impartation. We've already had baptisms, anointing, praise, worship. We've given, we've activated all these things, and now we want to receive the word. So I'm going to read some scriptures And we're going to talk about this just for a few minutes. Today, and can I just say this? Whenever I speak, I have to insert history. That's just who I am. So I'm going to tell you some history stories and different things today. Uh, But, and a lot of people say, well, Pastor Ken, I I just don't like history. What? You don't like his story? Oh, that caught everybody. (laughs) See, history is his story. Now, the problem is we're so busy trying to write our history, we forget about his history. And we need to grab a hold of, of the narrative that God has already spun, he's already writing, and he will fulfill through us. And praise God, we just get the privilege of entering a a piece of time, a space of time in history and join in the writing of that and participate in the victory of Jesus Christ during that season. And we're here, okay? That's why we're here. So we're, we're right now, you have to understand something. There are three dispensations since creation. There's the first of all, there's the dispensation, going back in history here, there's the dispensation of the Father, which started with Adam and ended with Abraham. 2,000 years, or according to Scripture, two days. For a uh, thousand years, this is a day. So then there's the dispensation of the Son, from Isaac to Jesus. 2,000 years, two days. Now the third dispensation is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. 2,000 years, two days, from Jesus until now. Six days. Six days, God created 
and on the seventh he rested. The seventh day is coming and we will rest with Jesus from all the labors and we will enjoy the victory of Jesus. Are you with me? So the dispensation we live in right now for this 2000 years, in fact, the Bible calls it in the last days, but the last days in the Bible are from Jesus till the last day. And so this is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, but it's also the dispensation of the church, meaning that God inserted the church during this time of the Holy Spirit. That's why I don't understand why people don't emphasize the Holy Spirit in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. So we gotta catch this. We're living in that. Now, so where are we in this storyline? Where, where, what, what is supposed to happen now? Uh, when, when we see God's hand in history, we realize he's, he's writing it and he will complete it. And in this chaotic world we live in right now, a lot of times we, we wonder, God, why don't you do something? Come on, God, hurry up. God, would you just work this out? And on and on we go and we're inviting God to come in. Let me just say something. God isn't sending the cavalry. We are the cavalry. Oh. In other words, he inserted the church during this dispensation to overcome the evil one. Now, so let me just take you back. I'm just telling you this one story to illustrate what has happened in America and how we overcome this, this in our, in our day. About 60 years ago, I was born in 1950. So I lived during the time of Truman, Eisenhower, and during that decade. And then we entered the 60s. And the 60s were a tempestuous age, to be honest with you. And uh, there was a 24-month period between, I'm going back in history here, 24-month period between 1962 and 1964, where a group of factors came and damaged and actually tried to destroy every American institution. This wave of evil, now let, let me just explain this to you. The church has been assigned on earth with a, a royal charter to open up portals of heaven portals that will open up and descend upon earth. Much like Jacob in Genesis chapter 26, I think it is, where there's a, a ladder, angels ascending and descending. The church comes and is assigned during certain periods of time and every period of time, but we're assigned to open up that portal. Satan always tries to counterfeit. So he tries to open up portals of Despair, discouragement, destruction. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So, back in the 60s, which I lived, I remember that there was uh, this wave of evil. This, this portal seemed to be opened by the enemy. And it brought such devastation to the soul of America. It brought more than all the total harm of civil war or two subsequent world wars. We fell into, I would say, a cursed nation status instead of a blessed nation status. And it, it brought about the steepest decline ever seen by a nation so quickly. 
you know, I could go in the before and after. If you want all the, some of the details, go to David Barton, wallbuilders.com, and he'll give you some of the details. But in this, before 1964, emergency rooms were quite manageable. But after that, after 1964, there, people would sit for hours because of, of, of all the, the, the rioting, the bullet wounds, all the things that were happening. In 1964, the mental hosp- before 1964, the mental hospitals worked after it didn't. There was so much um, pe- people who had actually lost their minds because of this portal being opened. Now, it, in, in some ways, that has not ceased. Uh, Pre-1964, there was 90,000 runaways in one year. Post-1964, one million and climbing. Before 1964, divorce was not, it was there, but it wasn't as prevalent. After 1964, half of all marriages. Now, I'm not saying that before this time, everything was hunky-dory. That's not my point. My point is, there was a space of time that the enemy opened a window that evil started pouring out. And so, our our nation is now facing this portal of evil that has only increased over time. Let me explain what happened so we can know what not to do. In 1962, a court case came before the Supreme Court. It was called Engel versus Vital. What happened? They outlawed prayer in schools. Before that time, I was in public school. Before that time, we had a 24-word prayer we pray. After that time, it was banned. A year later, 1963, another case came before the Supreme Court, and they disallowed reading the Bible in school. Before that time, I remember, I remember the Gideons coming into our school every year in handy. Now I had Bibles, but I just loved that little New Testament and song. I don't know why. It, I, I still have them in a box. And I, I just, it's just something very special about that. And there was something that happened in that two-year period that began to cut the moral fabric of America even deeper. We see at that time that in 1963, I remember where I was. I was in typing class, eighth grade. And the principal comes over the speaker system and says, our president has just been shot. As you know, John F. Kennedy. And he was shot and, and it brought a spirit of murder into the nation because within a few short years, many of our leaders were assassinated. So there had to be a spirit. God doesn't bring that spirit. Then it, it, it kind of dashed, I think, a lot of, uh, I was a baby boomer, many of you are, dashed hopes and dreams. And I think the enemy was trying to use it to squash the spirit, the soul life of America. Then an interesting thing happened. I remember coming to school on Monday morning and everybody was talking about, the Beatles are here, the Beatles are here. What, have we had a beetle infestation or something? 
This really, I was, I remember in, I, I can remember where I was. I was in band class. And everybody was talking about the Beatles who were on Ed Sullivan's show the night before. Now you may think that was just a, a little, maybe not even kind of innocuous thing that wasn't really important, but their ballads actually were false medication for a pain-riddled generation. They actually opened the door for all kinds of things. Once their music was mainstream, now I know many of you would probably like the music of, of uh, the Beatles, but if you really find the, the wording and the interpretation behind it, don't, swing, don't sing My Sweet Lord. Lord is not our Jesus. I'm just telling you. Once this music went mainstream, it introduced drug use, Eastern mysticism on a scale unheard of. Now, this can be, this is true of almost any generation who does not understand and will not stop these kinds of things. But I'm just telling you, from my perspective in this generation, this is what happened in a 24-month period. Vietnam started. What was that all about? Despair, anger, futility, just swept across the nation. And the ideals that we had as young people were squashed. There was a door that was opened and what it did, it, it took the moral immune system of our nation and dismantled it. For after that time, when I was in grade school, I did not know one other student in school. There probably was, but I didn't know one other student that was from a divorced family. It released this. Now, I'm just giving this as an illustration of what the enemy tries to do and what we are to do. The door was open. The consequences of this generation, I believe, was a curse that came on the land. On the land. And we had, no longer did we have clear moral boundaries, and that is what, ha what has happened in our nation. We no longer have absolutes, we have temporal things. And following this was a multi-year decline in values that has infected our nation ever since. Now, so we could talk about all the bad things that happened. You will know all the bad things. What has occurred, and no longer are we a nation that is guided by virtue or tradition. In fact, our founding father said, uh, once you lose your virtue, you lose your freedom. We have lost our freedom. It's because we've lost our virtue. But inserted into this, and, and let me just read this to you, just to illustrate this, in Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1, for, for know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. I mean, the list goes on. It says, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Well, that is the state of our nation in the in the cultural sense, but within this vacuum of morality and virtue, God came along and he inserted the church. Now the church was there before. I remember it, I was a part of the church. I, I mean, I was born on Wednesday and I was in church on Sunday. Been in church the whole, my whole life. It's true. 
But the church didn't have the strength and the passion and the direction. I remember it, going to church and I remember my dad taking me to prayer meetings. It was me and my dad and about 30 widows. It seemed like 30 older women that were praying. But within that, within that setting, I believe Jesus is trying to get our attention today to arise to a new understanding of what he really wants to do in our culture. Now, let me read this to you. Matthew chapter 16, 13. You hear this all the time, but I'm telling you it's the most important scripture of the Bible, most likely. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea at Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? So they said, well, some John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He, but he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, you got to catch this. Before that time, Jesus came on the scene, and he begins to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He preaches it and preaches it, and he, he demonstrates it, and he heals the sick, he raises the dead, he, he heals the, the blind and, and the leper. He does all those things for about almost three years. And then he comes across, and then, then he, he comes to this setting, and he says, and, and he asks the question, who do you say that I am? And they answered by saying, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these. But Peter burst out, now think about this, he says, no, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, I don't know about you, but I can almost imagine a hush in heaven. The words were spoken by man. The secret's out. Remember, he's, he was preaching the kingdom. Preaching the kingdom, healing the sick, demonstrating all these things. But all of a sudden, this one day, he asks a simple question. He gets a simple answer. And notice what happens. What happens next? Jesus told Peter, upon that revelation, it can only come from God. And upon that, I'm going to build my church. So he speaks the kingdom. All of a sudden, he introduces the church. Oh, I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia. Not only does that, does he do that, but he changes Peter's name. When he got revelation, he changed his name. When you come into the revelation of Jesus Christ, he will change your name. What does that mean? He changes your nature. He changed Peter's nature at that very moment. Peter, this brash individual, he says, you're not going to be a, a reed blown about by every wind, which is uh, uh, Simon, his name. You're going to be Peter. And on this rock, this rock of what? Of revelation. I'm going to build my church. So he's saying to all of us, when you come into the kingdom, you have to be added to the church. The church is being inserted into the world to demonstrate what I want done with the portals open and, in, and, and covering the earth and, and changing culture. Yes, the devil's trying to do this, but I'm, I'm greater than the devil. So he says that. And, he, and to that church, he promises a vast array of authority. He called it the keys of the kingdom. Well, we got the keys of the kingdom. What kingdom? The kingdom of God. We got the keys of the kingdom. And he starts elaborating on these. And 
I, I, we probably need to do a whole series on the keys of the kingdom. So the church is to be the instrument on the earth of God's representation, representing the kingdom. So this, this would have eternal significance. For the church is a group of people. The, the, the ecclesia is a gathering of people. It's not, it's not just a setting. It's not just a service. It's when God's people come together and receive impartation and revelation. Because once, you're, once you are in the kingdom, he gives you revelation. And your nature changes. You're added to a people, an ecclesia, that will change all of history and all of creation. You see, the church is more than just a, just a collection of people. It's a new community. The Bible calls it a new nation. We've been called out of every nation for the new nation. See, Christianity is more than just a private transaction with Jesus. When Peter made his confession, Jesus did not say, well, good, Peter, that's good. You're now saved. You're going to have an abundant life. Go and have a good time. No, he says, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Wow. So when you ask Christ into your life, we become part of his called out people. And according to scripture, Christianity is corporate. Listen to this, Augustine quote. He cannot have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. The new society of God's people, it's the new society or the new nation of the twice born. It's the only nation in the world. They're twice born. We are born again. The church isn't a civic center. It's not a club or even a Sunday morning service. He purchased it with his blood. And the church belongs to God. Now watch this. Let me go to this. Revelation, you still with me? Yes. Revelation is chapter 12. Verse 7, this is history. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. In verse 13, I'm not gonna read this whole thing, but it's, it's, it's describing what happened when he was cast down the dragon. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. It goes on in describing all that. Now, uh, Tanyan, are you here? So, recently we introduced, the new generation calls it merch. It's merchandise, okay, yeah. We, we introduced this. Now, it's this dragon slayer on there, dragon slayer across here. Uh, my cousin Wendell, who is in heaven now, he, he for many years went across the nation and he taught, were you there at one of his conferences? He did a conference called Dragon Slayer Conference. And he actually, that's his writing right there. He actually uh, put this together. This was on the 
the wall behind him, instead of crossover, he'd have that. This is you and I standing on, with his foot on the dragon. We are dragon slayers. Dragon slayer. Dragon slayer. You're a dragon slayer. We didn't just, oh, this is nice. They gave us permission. To, we're the only church in the nation that has this. They gave us permission to do this. Of course, I twisted their arms a little bit. You know. Dragon slayer. You're a dragon slayer. You have been inserted into the church to become a dragon slayer. Amen. Now, this isn't a, I'm not trying to get you to buy product, but I'm telling you, this is exactly what it is. We're dragon slayers. Thank you, Tenny. Now, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church with a group of dragon slayers. The church is going to triumph. The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Meaning that we're not on a defensive position. We're on a, a, a we're on the, the position of offense in which we win. You don't win if you don't have offense. And so I'm telling you right now that the church is being made to be an offensive weapon to destroy the works of, of darkness. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Come on, amen. And, and this visible army is quite, kind of like an army. It's an, it's an army. You know, we, we've been all recruited. We've been placed in, in places of the you know, churches or ecclesias all across, across the land. You, you have to be in a, a local ecclesia. Its recruitment is universal. You can go to any place in the world. And you can find another recruit to the kingdom of God and the house of God. And it's broken down to individual fighting units. Now, there's a widespread belief. Are you still with me? There's a widespread belief that one can be a Christian or develop one's own faith system apart from the church. That's ludicrous. It can't happen. Your confession of faith, you're baptized in the church, you're, you're, you're joined with other dragon slayers, you're placed in a, in a common place together, being inserted there to do what God has asked it to do is open portals in heaven and allow the angels to ascend and descend. Membership in a body is fundamental to the faithful Christian life. Martin Luther said this, apart from the church, salvation is impossible. Now, he didn't mean, it's not that the church provides salvation, God does, but because the saved one cannot fulfill what it means to be a Christian apart from the church. Calvin said this, so highly does the Lord esteem the communion of his church that he considers everyone a traitor and apostate from religion who perversely withdraws himself from any Christian society which preserves the true ministry of the word and sacraments. Jeez, I mean, they kind of hit it, didn't they? <laughs> so the task of us as dragon slayers, as citizens of the kingdom in the, in the ecclesia, we are to do as much as possible, as far as possible, and as, par, par, as far as we can in, in a sinful uh, culture, to reclaim the cosmos of God's, for God's created purpose. We're here to join, partner. I hear the word partner today, to partner with God to overcome the evil one. And when Rome fell the, the, uh, in medieval Europe, it, the whole world seemed to be cascading towards total destruction. But the church prevented it. Instead of conforming to this culture of the Dark Ages, the, middle, the medieval church stepped in. Thousands of monastic orders spread across Europe. 
They were characterized by discipline, creativity, and a moral order. Monks preserved not only scriptures, but classical literature. They were busy not only at their prayers, but in clearing land, building towns, and harvesting crops. You see, as a church, we are not just here to have a good service on Sunday. We're to clear land in our culture. We're to do whatever possible, whether it be foster and heart or any other ministry. We are to do what we have been called to do as the ecclesia. The clergy, the clergy at this time were the ablest, best educated, and least immoral. French monks, monks ran schools, labored to transmit both literacy and moral teaching to everyone. The bishops sheltered orphans, widows, paupers, and slaves. They opened hospitals, constructed aqueducts, banned witchcraft, and were respected by a population. In Ireland, they cleared forests, plowed fields, fasted, prayed, and lived lives of vigorous discipline. In English, the, England, the religious orders fought illiteracy, violence, and greed. They drained swamps, bridged creeks, cut roads, copied manuscripts, organized industrial centers and schools, and basically, they saved the world. We have no different commission. We're here to save the world. We're here to join those communities of faith in past generations, and we're to grab a hold of the absolute standards of Scripture, and we are to work the work of the Holy Spirit. The church must be the church. And when the church transcends culture, it can transform culture. Boy, this is all really good today. Now, as a dragon slayer, we never know what minor act of hopeless courage or what words spoken in defense of truth or what unintended consequence might swing the balance and change the whole world. How do I know that? Scripture teaches us. Look at Esther. History pivots on the individual exploits of individuals, both great and ordinary. Esther, just a, an orphan. She finds herself in the king's palace. She's counseled by Mordecai, her uncle, that she's been placed there for such a time as this. And she's supposed to go to the king and she's supposed to defend her people. She does it. She did not perish. Her decision to act without knowing the outcome changed the history of an entire race of people. In the 1930s, the same thing happened. In the 1930s in England, millions of soldiers had been lost to gas warfare and, and uh, trenches. My grandfather was in World War I. In reaction, all the political elements of, of England, they began to write a pledge, in no circumstances will we fight for king and country. They began a, an appeasement compromising movement. They actually called it the Oxford Oath. And in that, the nation was dispirited. All of a sudden, Hitler flies across London. We hear the story of the, the Battle of London. If you read history, you will find that every day, you know, what, what happens when adversity strikes? The church arises. Do you know what happened in the, in the Battle of England or the Battle of London? Every day the bells would ring and the whole population would join in places of worship and prayer. Interestingly enough, this is just, I, I'm sorry, I'm throwing out history to you. 
But history tells us that the captured German pilots were telling or asking the English, where did you get all your planes? Where did you get all of your pilots? They were overwhelmingly all around us. They didn't have very many. What they saw was angelic hosts defending because they had been praying. In that season of time, in that, that void of compromise, in steps a man named Winston Kurt Churchill. On June 18th, 1940, he did a speech. I, I'm not going to read the whole speech, but he says, upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. And he goes on through that. He says, let us therefore brace ourselves for our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth lasts for a thousand years, men will still say. This was their finest hour. And in doing this, Churchill transformed cowards into heroes. I believe God wants to do the same thing today. He wants to transform many of us who've kind of given in passivity and he wants to change us for the good of the world. Can you say amen? amen. Now let me go with, uh, I'm sorry, I have all these notes. So I'm just going to go through them. There was an Old Testament story too, which is a miracle. 2 Kings 22 tells us this. That Josiah became king when he was eight years old. He's in his, in his 20s, he's about 22. He began to wrestle with his identity. Because he had a terrible family background. Now, don't raise your hand, but many of us have had terrible family backgrounds. It's just, it's just what it is. He was one of them, Josiah. His grandfather, Manasseh, was the greatest mass murderer of the Old Testament. His father, Ammon, was a, I call him a moral sewer rat. No one mentored Josiah. He became king because of an assassination. Now, you might say... <laughs> I got this background and I just, I just accidentally came to church. I accidentally kind of gave my life to Christ. No, it wasn't accidentally. He's in the full meaning and purpose of God. Yet Josiah became the most powerful, zealous reformer in Jewish history. How did it happen? Well, he was remodeling the temple. And he found a book in the walls. And his scribe came one night and as he was eating his cheese and crackers and came one night and said, can I read the, the book to you that we found? Sure, read the book to you found. So after reading the book, the Bible says he tore his clothes and yelled like a lion. What in the world in the Bible would cause you to tear your clothes and roar like a lion? But what it changed, it changed him. I'll tell you what it was in just a minute. And he went... After this experience, this encounter, he went into a frenzy of righteousness that drove him to cleanse an entire nation. Josiah did more to remove witchcraft, idols, and cultural sin in the shortest span of time than any king in the Bible. What did he read? I believe. Read 1 Kings 13, verse 2. It says, and there will be a man. Now this was written... 1 Kings chapter 13, verse, five, verse 2, was written 355 years before he read this. That would mean it was before, if, take 355 years ago. That's before a nation was even a nation. 
And he reads it and he says, there will be a man that will rise in Israel. His name will be Josiah. And he will destroy the, all of the idols in Israel. He saw his name in scripture. If, listen, if you saw your name in scripture, what would you do? He did. He saw it. It was a revelation. He had an encounter with God. It changed his life. Here is the Bible speaking his name. And more importantly, declaring his destiny. And that struck him. Josiah's transformation was complete. I believe that we're now living in a generation that is, I'm telling you, it's been 60 years from that story I told you. I believe we're about there. Jeremiah said it was 70 years and then I prophesied, I don't know what year, but I believe this generation is about to arise. They have not yet seen their destiny, but I believe they are destined to reverse the curse. And they're destined to have a Josiah encounter that will shape their whole life and will give them direction. And I believe it will be the Mordecai and Esther combination generation, the old and the young, that will come together to see the saving of the world. This is what we've been placed here for. This is the ecclesia. God is gonna come and, and he's gonna replace this void in this generation and give them an incredible inheritance. Isaiah 58, 12 says, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I believe this is what this generation is destined to do in America. I've seen it, I've heard it. We're to, they, they are to build the waste places. Now I'm calling all of us into this generational move. All of us into this. We're to build the old waste places. The, the whole world has gone crazy. They're talking about saving the, you know, the, the environment, saving all this. You know what we really need to save? We really need to save the moral toxic waste dumps of our nation. So we're gonna, we're gonna build the old waste places. We're gonna raise up the foundations of many generations. I believe we're going to be able to restruct, reconstruct concepts long lost by the curse that the enemy has brought. They, we will retrieve the truths of many prior generations. It will, it will come back into, into, into position. We're going to, number three, restore paths to dwell in. Physically and spiritually, we're going to be able to open up places and waves, ways of living that have been long lost. That will be blessed of God. We will restore living areas. We will restore that which God intended to have for his people. Number four, we're going to repair the breach. There is a breach in America. And everybody's just fueling it. This, this breach, this divide of race and culture and gender and everything else. But this chosen generation, and I'm, I'm one of it, man. I'm, I'm believing for it. We're going to wade in and diffuse the hatred with prophetic power. I believe God wants to put upon this, this generation, all of us here today, a prophetic sense and a prophetic anointing. We can see what God is saying. We can speak it and we will do it in Jesus' name. We are the ecclesia. I believe. I believe we're going to soon hear the distant rumble of, of a locomotive, much like Acts chapter 2. 
It's going to roar. I've, I can hear it now. I can see. When I, when I prayed, I can see the angel armies preparing. It's like God said, I've, un, I've undone the orders. Army over here, army over there. Get ready. We are about to invade. Angel armies will, in, will join the ecclesia because we have the right and authority because this land is ours. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. And he has given us the authority over this creation. Mm. But I believe, I believe this generation, which now it, it can't be stopped. It's put in motion. It can't be stopped. They have found their name and they found their place. Much like Josiah and we will prophesy and we will win and the critical mass is this we must know our identity our identity is in Christ found in the church we must have a revelation of our destiny the trigger to destiny is always is always revelation we must be trained in doctrine and true understanding of biblical worldviews you know, people have not rejected Christianity for they have not had a true taste of what Christianity really is. Once we get it, we say it, we speak it, we model it. When the genuine comes, who wouldn't want to receive it? And I believe this too, a fourth thing, we, we've got to father this generation. This is a fatherless generation. We, they cannot be left just to their own designs. And this is what Mordecai did with Esther. And lastly, we must release this generation, which is all of us, to run with courage, conviction, and character. Courage. Don't be afraid. Conviction, have something to stand for, and character. We, we, we have the character and the standard of Christ that we will stand no matter what. And we will be equipped. Can you see what I'm trying to picture here? We are being equipped by God's will and purpose to be the true ecclesia that the world has not yet seen. We have now, if this is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, you better believe you better get in touch with the Holy Spirit. We better have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We better be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. We better be talking to the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one that comes alongside. I, that, that, to me, that's the biggest thing. The, the receiving of the Holy Spirit in my life changed everything. I then began to see the truth and the, 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 what, the, what the ecclesia was meant to do. It changed everything. I had revelation. Yeah. Then we need, to, we need to tune into the Word of God, the power of God. We need to understand the Word of our testimony. If we, if we overcome the, 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 the dragon and step on his head, we need to have a word of testimony that is spoken out. We need to understand the power of the blood of Jesus. We need to understand the power of the armor of God. And lastly, I say this, we need to understand our authority. I close with these two scriptures. This is so good, Pastor Ken. I wanna just read two scriptures as I close. Jesus closed with this in Matthew chapter 28. And he says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. So immediately he authors us to go. What does he say? I'm giving you the authority to do this. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Then you go to Mark 16, which is the last, last of Mark. He says this, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Notice the very, I, I had a whole nother message I was gonna do. The very first thing that we do is cast out demons. We have authority over demons. And they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, let me just close with this. This is telling us we have authority. I remember a story of a man who I respect very much. He tells the story of a vision in which Jesus comes and is giving him instruction of what to do in the next season of his life. And he was giving him strategy. All of a sudden, this is a vision. All of a sudden, this demon comes in. And he starts just blabbing away. And, and, and this man couldn't hear what Jesus was saying. And Jesus was just kind of, he was just, he was still talking, but he couldn't hear him. And he said, Jesus, why'd you do something? And he just, demon was, he was just interrupting everything. Finally, the man got so frustrated. He said, in the name of Jesus, I bind you, stop right now. And the devil just went boom. The demon just fell down in a, hoop, in a heap. And the man turned to Jesus and said, why didn't you do anything? He says, I can't, that's your job. You do it. Now, we have authority. Now, Jesus could do it, but he's deputized us to do it on earth. That's why we're the ecclesia. This, we have been given the authority on the earth to destroy the works of the evil one. So what am I saying in all this? Boy, I hope, I don't wanna try to summarize the whole thing. I'm telling you right now, you're the ecclesia who are dragon slayers. God wants to give you a release of the keys of the kingdom to destroy the works of darkness and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Now, Connie and I, now watch this. Connie and I have been talking about this. We, we, we heard this teaching and it just really changed us. This teaching, before you go into some place, you take authority over the atmosphere. Before you go into a business, before you go into school, before you go into this place, that place. We did this in Washington. We always did this. You go in and take authority over the atmosphere. In Jesus' name, I take authority over that atmosphere and I declare and decree that all demon forces must be, must be uh, broken and cast aside and only Jesus is allowed here. It changes everything. You do it before you go to a doctor's office. You do it in every situation. You do it, you take authority. You have authority. And we, we I, I think we just, we, in so many ways we just beg and God is saying, no, it's your, you can do it. We're pleading with God and I appreciate what Chris says. God is waiting for us. Are you ready? Come on church. Come on dragon slayers. Here we are. Let's do this. I wanna, I wanna pray for you. If you felt God speak something, he gave you revelation this morning. Lift your hand. You felt something. You, you sensed it in your spirit. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray everything that is spoken in their hearts would now become reality. 
and the power of the Spirit would begin to move, to move them into another realm of ecclesia dragon slayers. Lord, and right now, with every hand raised, I pray a specific anointing that will come upon them that will change their life forever. No more the same, no more passivity, only the passion of the Holy Spirit. And we move into that Jacob experience where he saw angels ascending and descending. Lord, do it in Jesus' name. Every hand lifted, we release the anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah says this, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. You know what you need more than anything else? Not might, not power, the Spirit of God and the anointing. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.